0: Good morning. The darkness has not overcome it. That's good news, huh? It's tried a few times, tried a few times, but still going strong. Well, it's good to see you and be with you. Thanks for joining us online for all the virtual people. It's good to not see you, but know you're there. Um, We do want to know anything that you're thinking. You can type in messages to us. We love hearing from you um, and all that. But also welcome all the non-virtual people. The real live people. It's good to see you. Um, hope your weeks are going well. Hope your summer's just been a total treat and joy. Um, anybody, anybody, raise your hand if you're back for the first time. Like so, March fifteenth, we kind of had to shut things down. Who's back for the first time in person? Okay, a lot of a lot of folk, which is cool. Um, this is actually week nine of our in-person gathering. Um, we've been gathering for the last nine weeks on Sunday morning. Um, mainly for prayer, but some teaching and some worship and some prayer. It's been really weech, we, uh, rich, but this is week one of the comeback, right? So uh, you're, you're not missing out on anything. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to be here. We're going to be in John chapter 7, and I thought the best way to, to start this next phase of our church was with a teaching called Disappointed with Jesus. <laughs> so... Some snickers there, but um, John chapter 7 is where we're going to be, and uh, there's a guy named John Cheever. He says, the main emotion of the adult American who has all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. And Ravi Zacharias, who actually passed away this summer, he says, the loneliest moment in life is when you have experienced or achieved that which you thought would deliver the ultimate, and it has let you down. And it has let you down. And uh, all of the things that we thought were solid and stable this year obviously have been shaken. And we're all left with a little bit of confusion, a lot more uncertainty. And it's very, very possible that many people in this room or many people that you associate with are dealing with some severe disappointment with Jesus right now. Um, Because often the Jesus we want is not the Jesus we need and uh, people are finding that out in the book of John right now in some serious ways. So, but before we jump in there, I just felt so inspired during our worship time. We, we've been focusing on prayer. We feel like that's where we're supposed to be. The reason that we did kind of one piano, one, one, uh, one singer, it was on, intentional, on purpose. It wasn't just everybody's on vacation this weekend. Um, we, we, just, I just, we just feel like the hand of the Lord is heavy on us to be humble. To walk slow. Um, The word contrite uh, comes to mind where that's kind of the posture and position that we feel like Jesus is really calling us to right now. And uh, so we are, we're just trying to kind of walk slowly and and carefully, paying really close attention to what he's doing. We don't want to get running. We don't want to get in a hurry. We don't want to just go back to the way things were we, we, want to, um, we want to go forward into the things he's leading us into. So um, bear with us if you're like, hey, man, I'm good. I'm ready to dance and sing and all of that. There's a lot of people who are just kind of saying, I really want to be still, I really want to just kind of be quiet before the Lord and really hear what he might be saying because I'm, I'm, I'm a little unsure. Uh, so that's where we are in those times um, going on. And while we were praying, I just really felt um, the need to pray and intercede for um, the black community. So if you'll join me with, in, in that. Lord, we come before you, maker of heaven and earth, and I just really wanna pray that you would, um, you would be with our black brothers and sisters, especially in Phoenix, that are processing so much right now. They're, they're having this, this frustration, this pain, um, this anger, that is legitimate, and they're they're trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. And at the same time, they are being offered so many solutions. And Lord, I pray that you really would help them to find the truth in it all. That you would help them to teach us all. You would raise up leaders and teachers and, and new John the Baptist and prophets in the black community that would really be able to help guide us through this confusing time and uncertain time. And Lord, I pray that you would diminish all the voices that are not helping, that are not actually trying to help and don't have your truth. But Lord, I just I, I thank you that, that I'm in, in contact with so many that are giving me so much encouragement, so many black men that are just teaching me and guiding me. And I just pray for more. I just pray that this would be a really beautiful time in the black community, that they would come out of this and they would be more rooted in truth and love and freer than ever before. And I pray you would show us, uh, our church, what we can do. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to pray, how to love, how to care, how to listen. Lord, I pray for for the predominantly black churches in our city, that they would really just experience your strength and your favor and your clarity and your joy and your peace and your provision. And that, Lord, we would learn to work together and walk together as I know would please you. So we thank you, Lord, that you're on the move. And we just pray that we would be with you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen, all right. John chapter seven. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, "Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now this is a moment in time where John, who was with Jesus during all this time, and then when Jesus left, basically continued to walk with Jesus in the spirit for the rest of his life until he is old, he's probably in his 80s or 90s, maybe even um, kinda late 90s, we don't know exactly. John just seemed to keep on living. And so he's writing this as kind of, this he's processed a lot. This is not just his first take at this thing. All of the stuff about Jesus, all of these memories have really got into his system and he's been living them out and he's been proving and testing them. And so he's writing these things. And, w- and what he's writing here is this real moment of confusion that was going on in Jerusalem. There are all these different groups of people. In this chapter, there's 52 verses. Here's the groups that he mentions. He talks about, in these two verses that we read, the Jewish leaders and Jesus' brothers. But he also mentions the disciples who stayed with him and the disciples who left, and that's a reference to chapter 6 at the very end. Jesus basically had 5,000 men. We know about 120 disciples. And they were all there at this moment trying to make him king after he had fed the 5,000 with just those loaves of bread and fish. And it was this real, like, kind of major moment. And Jesus teaches them that he's not really interested in their movements. He's not really interested in just feeding them bread so they don't get hungry. He's actually a lot more interested in in building a kingdom that's not of this world. He's actually a lot more interested in feeding their spiritual needs than their physical needs. He's way more interested in their spiritual formation than their national aspirations. And people are like, come again? What do you say? You see what Herod just did to John the Baptist? He took his head off. How can we not march on him right now? And Jesus is like, I'm sorry, it's just not what I'm about. It's an intense moment, and then he goes and says, "Actually, if you really want to be a part of me, you're going to eat my body and drink my blood." <laughs> it's not a real cool thing to say at a moment like that. And so they all left, and there was only 12 that remained. And Jesus said to them, "Are you going to go too?" And they kind of said, "No, no." We, we want to stay with you, but they also kind of said, we really don't have anywhere else to go. (laughs) It's kind of a combination. They're like, you have the words of eternal life. We know that what you're doing, even though we think you're really messing it up right now, (laughs) we think you know what you're doing, and you're going to accomplish the good that we really ultimately long for. There's it was a real moment for them. So there's disciples who left, disciples who stayed, some other groups. There were the crowds, there were the Jews, there were some of the people that believed in him. There were Pharisees, temple guards that went to arrest him but after they heard him speak, we're like, I don't know, we never heard anybody speak like that. We didn't know what to do. And then we have the chief priests and Nicodemus and there's all of them have a different opinion about who Jesus is. It's very confusing. Lots of disappointment, lots of confusion about who he is, and we'll go through this. Um, But Before we do, I just got to introduce you to this in case you didn't know. There is this Bible translated in kind of like a Hawaiian pigeon English called The Jesus Book, and I just love it in this passage in particular. It says this, after that, Jesus go around inside Galilee. He never liked go around inside Judea because the Jewish leader guys over there stay looking for him for kill him. Now, almost time for the special religious time when the Jewish people remember the time when their ancestors, uh, guys, went walk all over the boonies and stay inside shacks a long time before. Then Jesus' brothers tell him, go away from here and go Judea side so the people you want to teach can see the kind of stuff you're doing. If one guy like everybody know about him, he know go on and do way nobody can see him, yeah? You stay, do all this, you stay doing all this kind of stuff, so let everybody all over the place see you doing them. You know, even Jesus' brothers never trust him. I love it. I love it. Um, anyways, there you go. Um, Jesus' brothers never trust him. And that phrase just kinda really sticks out to me because first of all, Jesus had brothers and sisters probably, so it's, that's just wild to think about. Now, obviously, they didn't have the same dad, virgin birth, all of that. They had the same mom. And so these are his half-brothers. Jesus is the oldest. He's got all these brothers, and his brothers, the ones who grew up with him, they don't trust him. They don't believe in him. They've seen the things he's done, they've heard the things, and everybody else is getting caught up in this Jesus train, and they're not buying it for a second. They don't believe him. I grew up as the youngest of three boys, and my brothers, they don't believe me. They didn't believe me. They don't trust me. They called me the tyrant. Somehow I was so small, but I was like a dictator. And they would beat me up all the time. And I never trusted them. My mom would basically say, all right, what happened? Who broke that? Everything was broken all the time, including my body parts <laughs> sometimes. Broken arm, broken collarbone three times, whatever. Um, and they would, my mom would say, so what happened? And we would all have our own opinion. And story. It just so happens every time I told the story, it was really good for me, made me look good, and same thing with them. So we knew we, that all of us were liars. But here's the trick with Jesus: when Mary would come and she'd say, "Okay, what happened?" Everyone knew who was going to tell the truth. Everyone knew what the truth was. Jesus was like, "Well, this is what happened," and his brothers like. Oh, I don't mean- Um, So it was kind of a, a rough situation. But they didn't trust him. They thought he might be crazy at this point. But two of them for sure that we know, James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, who became the leader, the lead pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, went from never trusting him to believing that he was God sent from God to be the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. What a trip to go from this moment all the way to that place where James actually was killed because he so believed that Jesus was Lord. His brother was Lord of all, maker of heaven and earth. And then Jude, the the guy who wrote Jude, the epistle of Jude at the end of the the Bible, he also was a brother of Jesus that came to faith that Jesus really was it the one he says he was After the resurrection, they were kind of like, "Eh, all right, (laughs) that one's pretty good, Um, and believed him, but what a trip that is. Um, So that was their journey, so let's continue on. It says that um, Jesus told them, when his brothers were saying, go up, um, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. And here, Jesus again, he's 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 sharing with his actual brothers, his disciples are there with him. There's this debate about whether he should become a public figure or not, and he's just saying, You don't understand, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm about. And he says, You guys can come and go as you please, but I need you to know that the world hates me. Now, at this point, it didn't seem like the world hated him. They were all a little disappointed, they were all a little confused. Why he didn't want to become king and do what they wanted him to do? But, but they're like, hatred? You're, you're crazy. I don't understand. But Jesus was teaching them something that it's very important for him to teach. It's very something important for his disciples to understand. And he continues to go back to this time and time again with his disciples. John 15, verse 18, says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will will obey yours also. So this is later on in the book of John as the kind of tension is rising, as the heat is rising. Jesus is saying, hey, don't forget, I told you before that if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But let me remind you that if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. There just has not been a nation in, in human history that has continued to you know, give favor to and, and, and believe in the ways of God. And here in America, we have experienced favor as Christians, no doubt about it, hallelujah, thank you, for all those who fought for that and are still fighting for that. It's wonderful to be able to gather in a place like this, but this isn't, this isn't true in a lot of the world. And if you follow human history and nations that rise and fall, it's not going to be true in America forever. Now, am I saying we're about to be persecuted and everybody hates us? No, I I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't want us to be unaware of what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And if you call yourself a disciple, then basically Jesus says, you're on your way. Persecution you 're on your way to being hated you're on your way to death i'm not i'm not saying this Jesus is saying this just so you know welcome back to church isn't it good to be here? How disappointing a message is that Wait Jesus. You were just like turning water into wine. You were just healing people of diseases. You were feeding 5,000. We were into that. We liked that, Jesus. That was great. That's like, that's all we need. And now you're telling us that's not what you're about. That's not ultimately the most important thing to you. We were becoming popular. People were loving us. And Jesus says, just wait, just wait. And it is, again, this is Jesus preempting this thing. It hadn't actually really flushed out in public that everyone was trying to kill Jesus or hated Jesus. But it, it, it becomes that way. Jesus saw it coming before it showed up. He says, you go to the festival. I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also went, but not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything about him publicly for fear of the leaders. And you can see that even in our day right now. It's like, you have to be so careful what you say in our society these days. Like, like, am I allowed to pray for the black community in church? Like, there's part of me going like, oh, that feels dangerous. What, you're praying for people? This should not be dangerous. It should not be dangerous. But these people are all nervous, there's tension. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go Up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who God sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is a key moment right here. And again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples as well as he's speaking to these crowds. He probably actually on that temple mount, um, he was a rabbi and his disciples there, he began teaching them, some other people came. Jesus is kind of the buzzword these days, so probably more people came, but there are probably other rabbis sitting with their disciples, kind of teaching in this moment. It's kind of a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling them, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching is from God or from man, because there was debate as to whether what Jesus was saying was true. And I love this because this is so classic John. We've talked about John. John's premise for writing his book, the Gospel of John, is so that you would believe. So that you would believe. And we spent time talking about the difference of what that means to believe. For John, it clearly means trust over time. For Paul, we talked about, for Paul, faith kind of means pledge of allegiance. I'm going this way and I'm forsaking everything else. But for John, it means trust over time because John was just a fisherman out fishing by the Sea of Galilee when a guy came up and said, hey, you want to hang out? And John was like, okay. And they started hanging out and next thing you knew he was at a wedding with this guy and the guy turned water into wine. And John was like, all right. (laughs) I'm with this guy right here. And then John saw him heal people and feed 5,000 and he heard the teachings and he watched the life that he lived and John was just more and more convinced over time that the words that Jesus spoke were true. All the way to the point at which John saw Jesus up on that cross. All the other disciples had forsaken him. John was the only one that was there because he had begun to trust that Jesus was everything he said he would be. And more than John could ever comprehend. And then when John heard the whisper that Jesus had risen from the dead, he ran to that tomb. And once again, his trust was deepened and deepened and deepened and deepened. And that's why John is writing these stories, so that you will begin to trust in the name of Jesus, in the words of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, and as you begin to walk in it, you will find that it is true. When I first started really following Jesus, trying to really practice the way of Jesus, it was great, it was like this all makes sense, but then my dad took his life. And it was this moment where I had to say, okay God, I guess right now I'm gonna see if this stuff really works. And it did. And it does. Shortly after that, me and some friends, one of them sitting right over there, we decided we were going to go to Ireland for three months, just buy a ticket and go to see what the Lord might do, some stupid young man idea. Or young woman idea, I don't know. You probably have bad ideas too. But it was just like I just needed to see, like, okay, Lord, I want to see if you, what you're going to do. I want to see if you're going to show up. And so we did. We just got on a plane, flew over there. And I had like $150. And he had like 15 cents. And within three days, we had a place to live, we had jobs, and we were going all over Northern Ireland to tell people about Jesus. And then my little bit of faith just got a little bit bigger. And it was just this trust over time. And then I married this lady named Brittany, and she's like, let's go to Belize where there's no running water and be there for a year and see what the Lord might do. It's like three months, Ireland, okay. Nine months, Belize, with a one-year-old. And yet the way that the Lord met us in that place, trust over time. And Jesus is saying, look, it's going to get tough, it's going to get hard, but if you will do what I'm saying to do, if you will walk with me, you will see that my words are not coming from man. And there's a lot of words coming from mankind right now that are not to be trusted. But Jesus is trustworthy. More than we'll ever know until that final day when we get to really see that everything he's done has been righteous and true. Even though the Jesus we want is oftentimes not the Jesus we need even though we go through lots of times of disappointment with Jesus. He's still trustworthy. Let's continue on. He says, whoever speaks on their own Does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Remember, Jesus is saying they're going to hate me, but it's not really kind of prevalent yet, and he's saying that they're going to try and kill him, which is true, but not everybody knows that, so they're saying you're demon-possessed. That's what people think about him. And Jesus said, I do one miracle, and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually wasn't Moses, it was the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And this is an important word for Christians today. We have got to be careful how we're judging things. We have got to pray enough so that we can see clearly enough. Because there are a lot of powerful solutions being offered to people right now that are of human origin. And will leave us high and dry it 's so important that we really take this seriously um, in my weekly email this week i I talked about a couple things that I think are are things that have some good, but they 've been mingled with things now to where they're they're actually very dangerous and, uh, and and we as Christians, we have to be very careful that that we we don't try and you know like link. Something that is in our world, our agenda or an idea or a political party or whatever and try and link it with Jesus. Jesus made it very clear in his day and age and still today that his kingdom is not of this world. Now politics and, and social reform, all of those things are good things that we, you know, it's good for us to, to do what we can but we have to be very careful to not ascribe Jesus to one of those things. Christian nationalism is a dangerous, dangerous thing. I want to read to you um, what the German Christians in 1934 were saying. We are full of thanks to God that he, as Lord of history, has given us Adolf Hitler, our leader and savior, from our difficult lot. The German church, the German Christians, were praising God for his sovereign providence in bringing a leader like Adolf Hitler to save them. And yet there were some Christians, we know Bonhoeffer, we know Bart, and many others, Corey Ten Boom, they weren't missing it. They were about the Father's business, the kingdom of heaven, in the midst of such an atrocious moment in time. And I just wanna be those Christians. I don't know how to be, that's why I'm praying all the time. That's why for nine weeks you guys came to an hour prayer service and I was here for four hours. And it took the Lord tricking me into a four-hour prayer service, because it's my job, to get me to actually do it, but boy, was it rich. Four hours for the last nine Sundays, I've just been here trying to hear from the Lord, and it's been awesome. We need to be gathering in parks with our neighbors and friends, just saying, let's just go pray. I heard about a group doing that recently. We need to just be getting people together and be like, hey, let's hang out, but let's just, let's just pray and see if we can get any kind of idea what we're supposed to do with our lives and our families right now. This church should be a house of prayer. I, want, I really want us to not be on the wrong side of this moment. And I think we, we can't, I mean, the Spirit of God wants to lead us into all truth. We gotta listen. We gotta be careful. We don't start just kind of associating things that are out there. Now, in first service, people thought I was saying that Trump was Adolf Hitler. I'm not saying that. It actually is, no no way. I don't, I don't, I I will name who I think Adolf Hitler is today. No, I won't. I'm not even gonna try. (laughs) Give me a break. I don't know. If I knew, I would say it. But I'm not saying it because I don't know. I just know the spirit of Antichrist, John told us later on, is alive and well in our world today. And I do know there are things that are very anti-biblical that are becoming very popular and we've got to be careful and just say, okay, let's see how this rolls out. So please don't think I'm like saying something that I'm not saying right now. You can send me an email be like, you were talking about this I was like, well, no, I wasn't talking about that guy. So, we're clear on that? But I'm bringing up the German Christians because they got it wrong and they were calling themselves Christians. And here is Jesus way before them saying, hey, don't get this wrong. There is truth and there is not truth. And Jesus is about the truth. That's why he's trustworthy. So we continue on. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem begin to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, we won't know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him. And he sent me. Now, those of you who don't think Jesus ever claimed to be God, you just don't speak Jewishish. This is this is what Jesus said right there. If you were a first-century Jew, that's blasphemy, unless it's true. He's he's saying I'm from God. Basically, he's saying I am God. I'm the whole deal. How do I know that? Look what happened. At this, they tried to seize them, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, It said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? And then as he goes on, it's kind of leading up to this moment. And it says here, um, sorry, I'll, I'll skip down a few words. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, trust over time. As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. There's a little bit more debate about him at that point. But on this great moment of the festival, now every day for seven days, they've been celebrating their wilderness wanderings and how God provided for them there. They actually build tents and booths, and they would sleep in these things during this week. Sounds fun, too hot right now. Um, But they would pour out this water, Every day from the pool of Siloam is just kind of remembering how God provided water out of the rock, water in the desert. And then at this one, this one day, they wouldn't pour water out. And it was kind of this real climax, almost like they were saying, we're longing for the day when God once again visits us. And it was at that moment that Jesus stood up in the crowd and said, let all who are thirsty for that moment. Let all who really long for God to come again. Let all who really long for the loving presence, the satisfying water of God, to come, let them come to me, and out of their inmost beings will gush forth torrents of living water. That's a moment right there. That's a moment. That's a moment right there, too. Time's up moment. Sorry. <laughs> set my alarm because we're online, we're trying to track everything. But that's a moment that Jesus set up where he was saying, everybody can come, anybody who come, and I will give you the water that your thirsty soul needs. And what I bring is not of human origin, and it's not temporal, and it's not gonna leave you high and dry in the end. What I bring will begin small, but as you begin to trust and walk it, it will keep growing and growing and growing until it just starts pouring out of you forevermore. That's the promise of Jesus. I want to just read a couple things to close. So church, don't be surprised when evil prospers and things with demonic origin and agenda become popular. At the same time, don't be surprised when doing the right thing, holding on to the truth, and submitting your life to the authority of scriptures becomes unpopular, hated, and even persecuted. Don't let your disappointment with the Jesus you want lead you to be deceived. Remember that the Jesus you want is not often the Jesus you really need. And the problem is your perspective is not his But remember what Philip Yancey says in his book, Disappointment with God. He says, why the delay? Why does God let evil and pain so flagrantly exist, even thrive on this planet? He holds back for our sakes. Recreation involves us. We are, in fact, at the center of his plan. The motive behind all human history is to develop us, not God. Our very existence announces to the powers of the universe that restoration is underway. Every act of faith by every one of the people of God is like a tolling of the bell and a faith like Job's reverberates throughout the universe. Every time you and I act in the truth, act in faith, it's like this reverberating gong that goes throughout all of the cosmos and creation that the restoration has begun. That what Jesus died to purchase is already beginning to play out. And if it plays out day in and day out, eventually it's going to grow. The kingdom of heaven will grow like that mustard seed. It will grow. It will grow. And it will ultimately fill everything. And then at that moment, our perspective will be clear. And we will say, righteous and true are your judgments, O God. Thank you for bringing us now to a place where every sad thing has come untrue. The restoration has begun in each of us. The kingdom has already begun. And if we will walk out with Job-like faith, we will be a part of that restoration. And we will be with Jesus. But here's the deal. Job-like faith is not an easy thing. Don't listen to this. Don't listen to these Bible verses. These ones, these ones are not fun. Okay? I'm just warning you. So if you're still listening, it's your fault. Online people, shut it, up, shut it down. Unless you really want to hear something heavy. Job's faith, he lost everything. He wasn't just shaken or disrupted. He lost everything. And yet he says in the face of God, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. Because I'm so convinced that you know what is right and you can accomplish it, that though you slay me, I will trust you. Because I know that my Redeemer lives and he will one day stand on the earth, and though my body is destroyed, I will see him in person and he will make it all make sense. Trust over time. Let's pray. Jesus, wow. You know what you're doing. You knew what you were doing and you were doing it and it was amazing and it was wild and it was confusing for people. Yet it was beautiful and strong and brought about true salvation forevermore. And here in our time, Lord, we know you're alive. We know you know the way. We know you're at work. But hard to see I pray that you would strengthen our faith for whatever may come that you would develop our trust over time you show us your way and your will and teach us to walk in it and Lord we pray right now that all this tension in our society would be released to renewal and revival but if the tension gets released in another way We pray that you would just help us to be on the right side of history, of your story. And you'd help us to rescue and save as many as we can, no matter what happens. Because we're so thankful that you've rescued and saved us.